This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle, joined once again by my co-host, Brian Solomon. How you been, Brian? It's been a while. I am happy to be back, Al. It's uh, This is where I belong. <laughs> yes, uh, and happy Halloween. Halloween uh, just around the corner uh, this Saturday, and uh, a lot for us to, to catch up on. The last few episodes uh, have kind of been sort of special topics. We haven't just kind of talked uh, current events in a little while. Uh, and there are a lot of current events. Since we last talked, there's uh, new heavyweight champions in WWE uh, on Impact. Uh, you know, both WWE and Impact had big pay-per-views over the weekend. Plus the return of Halloween Havoc. We've got an AEW pay-per-view uh, coming up. So uh, not sure how much uh, we'll get to, but we'll try to uh, catch up as much as we can. Uh, then uh, speaking of Impact, uh, later on, going to be uh, hearing an interview I conducted a few weeks back with one of the new stars uh, of Impact, but not a new star on the scene. Uh, Brian Myers, the fr- former Kurt Hawkins. I always get those two confused. Uh, we caught up. He, he, in addition to working now for Impact, he runs a wrestling school uh, here in my area, Long Island, New York, uh, called Create a Pro Wrestling. Uh, and they've already uh, put out a number of uh, pretty big names, not the least of which is uh, MJF. And uh, we talk about that, uh, you know, his, his thoughts on uh, MJF, probably his most famous student and uh, the challenges of running a wrestling school in the middle of pandemic and of losing your job. Uh, he was part of the mass firings from WWE back in the spring. Uh, and then also, of course, talk about um, his time now with Impact and why in some ways he's having the most fun he's had in years. So uh, good to catch up with him. Uh, first, Brian, let's talk about the other Brian. Uh, let's talk about uh, the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I got mine in the mail just a couple of days ago on the cover. Uh, Bailey and the new SmackDown Women's Champion, uh, Sasha Banks. It is the Women's 100 uh, issue, and there is a whole lot to uh, digest in here. Have you got your uh, magazine yet, Brian? I haven't gotten the physical copy yet, but I did, you know, because I'm a special person, I did have <laughs> access to the PDF, so I have seen it. Um, have you already been called upon to uh, fervently defend the choices of having, you know, top five uh, people, WWE people? No, not really. But honestly, I'm probably not uh, as in tuned on, on social media as, <laughs> as some others. And I yeah. think it helps me keep my sanity. So are, are people uh, have gripes with with uh, our decision? Well, it's like every it almost seems like every month uh, there are people that are like an etch-a-sketch, you know, where it's like, OK, the top five people are WWF. So we must have this blatant WWE bias. Yeah, Weren't we embedded with the AEW a month right, ago? I thought, I thought we had the AEW bias because John Moxley was number one and we put him over. Um, so it's just, I don't know. It, it feels like no one's really paying enough attention. And whoever we're giving attention to, we're in their pocket every month. There's really no escaping it. Yeah. The other thing I see uh, uh, just as often, if not more, uh, is – you know, it's not even recency bias. It's just not it's not an appreciation of what um, what we look at and the evaluation period. So 
very often, you know, I always go back to The Miz back in, in 2010 or 11 and the fact that that did not age well at all by the time the magazine came out. Uh, but people think, who's on top right now? That should be the, the top five. Right. Um, or uh, they look at how good a technical wrestler they are, how good a worker they are. And and uh, it's not really about that. We have our, our criteria. And, um, you know, it it's worth uh, saying this year in particular, I think uh, uh, our approach to the women's 100, um, I can't say it's beyond reproach, but we brought in a lot of uh, people that that. Uh, you know, Dan, I don't want to say single handedly, but but Dan Murphy had a lot of influence on the, the list in the past. And this was much more by committee um, than than in the past, including women. Uh, that was kind of a, a, a new point of view, new voices that we haven't always had at the table. Um, Pat LaProd, who is uh, very respected in his coverage of women's wrestling, actually co-authored a book or two with Dan Murphy um, and. You know, not everybody agreed on on every choice, but but this was very much uh, well considered, and I know I I would defend it. So, uh, yes. Anyway, if you if you want to know what we're talking about, go check it out. PWI-online.com. Uh, that's not the only thing in this issue. I mean, it is uh, the women's 100 is essentially the the female counterpart to the PWI 500. It began as the the female 50, um, and now we it's expanded to 100 women. Uh, but also in here, we have got uh, features on Eric Young, on Orange Cassidy, uh, again, kind of in, in going with the new approach that uh, Kevin McElvaney, our editor-in-chief, has taken. A lot more coverage of independent wrestling, maybe some some wrestlers you've never heard of, uh, getting a lot more ink uh, in, in this issue, and that is the approach going forward. Um, my hot seat interview with uh, Bailey who is the number one ranked wrestler in the women's 100 and, and not to uh, pat myself on the back too much, but I've gotten uh, a lot of really great feedback uh, about this interview, including a, a phone call last week from Stu Sachs, who went out of his way just to, to give me an attaboy for this interview, um, which uh, podcast listeners got to listen to uh, here a couple weeks ago. Uh, so uh, a ton more. You don't want to miss it. Uh, as I, I like to say, this is our, our busy season beginning with the, um, the PWI 500 and now the women's 100. Uh, the uh, usually the next issue would be the the year-end awards issue, but but as we revealed here on the last podcast, uh, we were squeezing another another issue in now and a kind of completing the trilogy of the rankings, the uh, tag team 50. Uh, so that's out of the bag now. Ryan, what do you think about uh, us putting together an issue? Uh, and 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 it's worth saying not just the the tag team fifty the whole issue is going to be really dedicated to tag team wrestling, uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And yes, what I hope is the beginning of an annual uh, tradition, the tag team fifty ranking. What do you think about that? I think it's a cool idea. I think it's one of those ideas that a lot of people were like, "Wow, I I, I wonder why it took them so long to do that." Because it just it just seems like such a natural idea. And I think it also speaks to how healthy. Um, tag team wrestling is right now that you could that you could do something like that and i mean i've seen the list and have it be you know such a really solid and diverse and you know list of different companies um male and female i i just think it's it's very cool and it's probably a long time coming so i'm, I'm just psyched that i get to be a part of the first one yeah same here i, I finished my contributions to it uh last week i put together the uh the top 10 and 
uh, yeah, a lot of representation from from all around the world. Uh, you know, spoilers, but just in the the top ten, you've got teams from Japan, teams from Mexico. You've got uh, female teams, um, and and you're right. I mean, I could. I mean, can you imagine a few years ago <laughs> what this would have looked like? It wouldn't have looked like very much. I think you know, when number one would have been like a Dave Otunga and Curtis Axel <laughs> or something like that. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, the tag team scene. Uh, I, I don't want to overstate it, you know, and say this is like the return of the glory days, but um, this much is true. You know, at 50, we had to leave out a lot of teams and a lot of teams that that fans may just take for granted that they will be on this list. Some some teams that get plenty of TV time and notoriety uh, and with just 50 to rank, uh, something had to give. Yeah, and I think people are – there's going to be some pleasant surprises in there. And I think it was the same thing even with the other two recent lists, which is that, um, it, you know, kind of the, the setup has changed a little bit where it's not – just because you're on TV more than other people uh, does not guarantee a higher ranking. Yeah. So I, I think it kind of keeps things interesting, and it gives other people a chance to get noticed, but people who still deserve it. So I, I think – you know, it's just it's an institute. Well, I mean, this is a new list, but the, the these PWI ranking lists are such an institution, and this is really making them feel fresh and new and relevant, and not just yeah. you know, relics. Yep, yep. And and I mean, there are elements of this that are going to look very familiar to people uh, in in terms of some of the some of the formatting, uh, but also stuff that we're doing that's different than than the female fifty or the PWI five hundred, and some of that takes into consideration um, that. You know, you're talking about two people uh, instead of one. Some of the the stats and 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 these kind of uh, facts in the bio that are more relevant um, towards singles wrestlers, not so much here. Uh, but I think it's just so cool that that a uh, a tag team wrestler, even a super talented one, who typically um, you know wouldn't break the the top 100 or even beyond that in the PWI 500 stands a good chance of being ranked in the top 10, top five, uh, even number one. And and I think it is uh, recognition that uh, tag team wrestling is not less than, it, it's just different. And, and it's just kind of an appreciation that this is its own art form. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited about that. Uh, so you don't want to miss that issue uh, either. We're, we're still putting uh, that one together. Uh, go to pwi-online.com and subscribe. That way you don't have to worry about uh, finding the issue. It'll come uh, right to you. You could either subscribe to the print edition, have it mailed to you, or the digital edition, and uh, be able to download it directly to your device. Also comes out uh, several weeks earlier. So uh, absolutely, that might be the way to go for you guys. Uh, either way, go to uh, pwi-online.com. Uh, also there, uh, you can listen to the podcast, subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcast, and please leave us a positive uh, review. You could also pick up uh, PWI line of T-shirts at prowrestlingtees.com. Uh, a lot of fun designs uh, over there. Um, you can send us an email, podcast at outlook.com or PWI at capitalpublishing.com. Uh, That's for uh, all things related to uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Uh, and what else? Uh, follow us on social media, of course, at Official PWI on Twitter and Instagram. I was live tweeting uh, some of Hell in a Cell uh, over the weekend. Uh, and you can find us on Facebook and YouTube also. 
Uh, and sign up for the PWI Weekly uh, completely free uh, newsletter. I just got mine today in my inbox. You could also do that over at uh, our webpage. Uh, so, Hell in a Cell, let, let's quickly uh, talk about this, uh, Brian. Uh, you know, one of the gripes I've had over the last several years is that, you know, Hell in a Cell used to be the, 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 the and maybe, maybe we've talked about this before, uh, used to be kind of the climax of feuds. And whatever your hottest feud of the year was, um, it would culminate in, in hell in a cell. It was kind of reserved for that. And now it's really whatever is going on in October is what you put in the hell in a cell. That said, I think it worked out this year. I mean, I don't know if it was by design or just circumstance, but the three matches that were in the cell um, this year felt hell in a cell worthy for the most part. And I think um, that helped uh, uh, create a, a pretty compelling uh, pay-per-view all three Hell in a Cell matches, I think, were were pretty good, ranged from pretty good to really, really good. Um, all of them different in their own ways um, and certainly newsworthy with uh, title changes in two of them. And then the latest development in the uh, Roman Reigns uh, storyline, which I just loved. Um, so, f- first of all, uh, uh, overall, uh, did you like the show? I did. I, I did. I think, you know, in hindsight, kind of like what, what you've said, but... In hindsight, overall, it might be a good idea to not have Hell in a Cell be its own pay-per-view, but but rather have it be like this free-floating concept that you pull out anytime there's a feud that's like hot enough to justify it, you know. But but the show itself, I thought, yes, it it did deliver. Um, the Reigns and Uso thing. Continue. I don't know if it's definitively over. It, it might be, but it it still has been the best, in my opinion, the best top-level WWE angle in years, as far as I'm concerned. It, it's 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 really continues to be interesting and surprising, but not just swerving for the sake of swerving. You know, I thought the thing with having the Wild Samoans come out there, yeah. I mean, that really got me because what I was expecting was this typical, like, Roman Reigns would be shamed for what he did, and then he would humiliate the old-timers, which is typically the WWE way of doing it, you know, making them look stupid. And instead, it turned out where they endorsed him. I I just thought, like, that really got me. I was not expecting Mm -hmm. that. And it took it to another level. Yeah, that really, that that was, that should have been, that really should have been the the last match. I, I am not a fan of the... McIntyre, you know, dropping the title to Orton, that really felt completely unnecessary to me. But uh, I would have been I thought it would have been much better if the Reigns thing ended the show. Yeah, I I really agree. And and when I saw Reigns go on first, uh, my thought is, well, and and I love the match, too. And at the end of it, I thought, okay, kind of a downer. So maybe you don't want to close the show with a downer. But it closes. (laughs) They close the show with a downer anyway. So so uh, uh, that said, uh, I think in general, I've kind of changed my view about uh, I, I think it's a good thing very often to put on these mat to go on first uh, because you're not burnt out. I mean, you've got um, and, and that's sort of counterintuitive to the, the way people have viewed wrestling um, really throughout time and wanting that main event spot. But uh, especially in the last 10 years or so with. Uh, so much wrestling and three and a half hour raws and pay-per-views that go five, six hours. I think very often wrestlers and feuds um, uh, benefit from going on early. Uh, but but yeah, I agree. It was the best thing uh, on the show. And, you know, we talked about this last time. 
uh, continuation of, of what I agree is the best angle uh, in years. I really want to know who is behind it, you know, um, because they they deserve, I don't know, at least a raise. They deserve to be, to be running all of creative in WWE. It, it is so much smarter and more nuanced than anything you see uh, in WWE. And it sort of, um, it, it, it reminded me what it's like to really be into an angle. I mean, I feel like we've all become a little sort of deadened and, and numb and our standards have been um, so lowered that when something doesn't suck or is, you know, you think about it in, in, in these arbitrary kind of scales, how many stars is it or, or that kind of thing. And, and you look at everything very kind of scientifically, like I, su- I suppose that was a four and a half star match versus a four and three quarter stars match. But what you so rarely have is something that you're really emotionally invested in. And, and I'm watching that match at the end and I'm just like, oh man, what a piece of garbage uh, Roman Reigns is. And, and, yeah, that moment with the the Samoans, you just you feel it, you know, you you feel it in in your heart, Stearns. And um, I I just loved it uh, so much, so smart. You know, the the uh, and and that's tricky to pull off. The the crying, the emotion, uh, that's tough. I mean, wrestlers very often kind of fancy themselves actors, but they're not. It's it's a different skill set. Uh, but all the performances here, the the Usos, Jay, Jimmy, Roman, um, everybody uh, just did a gr- by any standard did a great job uh, of acting. And uh, yeah, I'd like to see this continue in some shape or form. Yeah, so so much of I think what makes Angle successful. I mean, this is not a newsflash or anything. Is the response of the fans, and usually a live response, or even just a response from people watching it at home. And part of the problem is, you know, in the last, I guess, 20 years, whatever you want to call it, now that everything is so much out in the open and you really don't, you have people watching wrestling in a different way than they used to watch it, where you really, you, I mean, you would have like a significant percentage of the audience that was completely wrapped up in believing what they were watching. Yeah. You don't really have that anymore. So it kind of tends to suck the life out of things sometimes. And I think even even like some of our fond memories of angles and matches that we loved as a kid, when you go back and watch it, you realize like, okay, on paper, it's not like that's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's probably a lot of it pales in comparison to what you, what we see in recent times, but it's, it's the fan reaction. It's the, it's the electricity. It's the moment that made it what it was. And that element is very much lacking. So when it kind of reasserts itself a little bit, then you realize like how much of a difference that can make. Yeah, I, I, I really agree. And I think just in the last few months, you know, being locked up and and uh, watching a lot of old wrestling, you, you, there were these um, angles that as a kid you were invested in and then you grow up and then um, you become a little more cynical and you look back on those angles and you thought, oh, God, how was I into that? You know, I was I was such a little kid and I, I revisited some of those. And, and, you know, one in particular was um, uh, Earthquake and Hulk Hogan right back in, in 1990. And I watched that again. And I'm like, no, this really was awesome. Even all these years later, this really, really worked. Uh, and uh, 
you know, the, the gasp of the fans and the kind of hush that fell over the crowd when Earthquake was just, uh, you know, dropping on him again and again and again. And then him being hospitalized for weeks and the whole like letter writing campaign. It was so well executed, so simple. And you just don't get that anymore. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it something you just said reminded me of, of uh, something on, on the show. At, at, and we'll get to it. But, you know, Randy Orton wins the title at the end of the night. And that's kind of the closing image. And then they go from I don't know how long you, you stay tuned to WWE Network, but they went from that right to yes. uh, this documentary about uh, Orton's feud with The Undertaker. And the sh- and the documentary opened with Randy Orton, who we just saw win the world title in the main event in this very like dramatic uh, program, talking about how this angle, you know, this, this particular angle with Undertaker wasn't scripted and he hit him wrong with the chair and he had to go back and apologize to him. And it's like, wow, you know, can you imagine even uh, i mean certainly 20 years ago maybe even 10 years ago anything like that um and and i i don't know that i'm okay with it i mean i understand that i am generally in okay with and 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 i really enjoy a lot of those documentaries um but i don't know they got to do a better job of kind of compartmentalizing it i mean it was almost whiplash to go from from one to the other uh, just like that I did stick with it, like you said, and I saw the first few minutes of that and the first 10 minutes or so. And it's interesting, you know, I mean, from a personal point of view, I, I found it fascinating because I'm very interested in things. Yes. Like that. But then there was this other part of me that was like, oh, my God, like they're not to, we're not the marks aren't supposed to see this. You know, <laughs> what, are we, <laughs> what are we doing here? It was like this gut reaction. Uh, yeah, it, it's a tough call. You know, it's like. And especially because it was right after, you know, everything has been so rubbed in people's faces now. I don't know if you how long it's been since you watched uh, Wrestling with Shadows, for example. Mm-hmm. Okay. This blew me away. Now, Wrestling with Shadows, the documentary uh, that covered, you know, the Montreal Screwjob and Bret Hart leaving WWF. That's 1997, 1997. And it's full of these interviews, these real interviews with fans where they are just fuming mad like legit mad at bret hart and how he turned his back on america and then you get the canadian fans and they're interviewing them in the parking lot about how degeneration x are a bunch of low lives and and criminals and all this and i mean these people are earnest and this was not that long ago this was the beginning of the attitude era but but so much has changed even since then you would never be able to do fan interviews like that now yeah, I, and remember they they tried it a, a year or so ago. And, uh, remember they, they there was some skit where they would uh, take the microphone into the crowd in the middle of Raw, and uh, it it just went terribly wrong uh, because some of that. I mean, like it it's just not going to work. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I think they're still kind of navigating their way through it. And and um, on on one hand. I get it. I mean, you pop in any movie on DVD and you'll have a uh, a director's track where uh, or, or or alternate commentary where the actors in the movie will talk about it. So I, I get it. It's not unusual to, to have performers kind of out of character talking about their their work. Uh, but with wrestling, it's it's always kind of it, it it's this island to itself in part because Randy Orton is Randy Orton. He's not playing a character that that's his name. That's who he is. Um, and it, it just the, the in and out of character and, and those lines are, are blended so much. I mean, one, one thing that occurs to me is like, um, I, they were promoting 
that documentary in the middle of Hell in a Cell, right? I believe. Uh, And and I don't know. So that would almost be like in the middle of the Avengers, Robert Downey Jr., you know, telling fans stay tuned for, you know, a a special behind the scenes look at the Avengers. Uh, And as we all know, the comparison is not always the most perfect because wrestling, like you said, it's it's its own island because so much of the appeal of it over the years traditionally has been we are going to try to make you believe some of this and have you wondering what's real and what's not real and not really knowing where the line is. We are not going to just blatantly say, okay, this character was played by this guy and that kind of thing. Like it, it, it is pretending to be real life in a way that movies and TV shows don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the main event. Uh, Brandy Orton uh, wins his 14th world title, puts an end to, uh, Drew McIntyre's uh, title run, one of the more unusual world title runs that I think anybody can can remember because it, it took place completely within the pandemic. He never got to perform in front of a real crowd. Um, and, you know, not totally clear whether this was a chapter in, in the continuation of the story. Maybe Drew gets it back. There's some indications that they're ready to move on. You know, the, they, they're already kind of... Uh, um, involving the fiend oh my god do i not want to see randy orton and and the fiend i don't want to see the fiend against anybody but much less randy orton we, we got a taste of that a couple of years ago and it was not pretty um and so is your sense that you know they're cutting bait on, on drew mcintyre uh moving on that that there's randy orton is the established star he he's kind of the sure thing let let's go with him if, if only as kind of a as a transitional champion until we, we find out who, who this, the next big star is. Is it, is it the fiend? I don't know. Uh, it, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't make sense intuitively to me, like to think that they're moving on from him, but the indications I seem to be getting is that they are, which I find to be really discouraging. Like, like I've heard also that there's talk of Randy Orton versus edge at mania. Yeah. And that they might be turning that into like what they did, you know, last year and turning it and, and like taking it to another level as, as if they didn't learn their lesson from <laughs> last time and making it like the main angle um, that I don't know. I just find that depressing. It's like we took a chance on this guy. We have no way of knowing if it worked or not, but we're just going to give up and move on to other stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know now that that at least part of. Uh, of his story is behind us. Uh, maybe we can evaluate. How, how do you think Drew McIntyre did as champion and adjusted for all these things, these circumstances, they're out of his control. Um, I, I feel like he was fine, uh, but I'd be lying if I said, I thought he, he was like this amazing performer. I, I thought he was more than serviceable uh, and had some good matches and generally was comfortable. How do you think he did and how much better do you think he would have done or worse do you think he would have done if he he did have a crowd to work off of? I think he has a great look and that's the the best thing that he has going for him. And but but sometimes that's enough. I mean, that's not really a knock necessarily. I think part of the issue and I brought this up a few times in previous podcasts was I was never thrilled with the people that they had him programmed with. It just there was never really an angle that grabbed me with him. Uh, and, and I think other than him winning it, 
And I think that was brought even more into stark relief with the Roman Reigns um, angle, where basically on the other show, their world title, all of a sudden now is becoming the most important one again because the storyline's more compelling. So yeah. I think I think that actually hurt it because those titles is interesting. If you watch the Universal title, the WWE Championship, wh- whichever one feels like the more important one, it all depends on the angle and the storyline. It, it goes back and forth all the time. And it was, you know, when, when McIntyre won it, his title did have that feel of being the company's top prize. And now it feels like Roman Reigns has the company's top prize. So it's at least to me, at least that's the way I view it. So I I feel like that didn't help. But but again, like he had a great look, but there was nothing. And part of this was the hand he was dealt dealt in the pandemic. There was nothing incredibly compelling about his title reign, which I guess I might be making WWE's point for them. But but I mean, uh, I do think he deserved more of a chance than he got. Yeah, I mean, I think the point you're making applies to uh, both brands and both titles, and and that is sort of this uh, dearth of of top talent for champions to work with. Uh, so even you know, Roman Reigns uh, has stumbled onto something really, really compelling and good. But make no, you know, let's not uh, uh, make any mistakes here. Jey Uso was one half of a kind of middling. Uh, tag team. He he was not a top guy and probably won't be a top guy at the end of this angle. Um, they just, again, put together a, a really good storyline that played on a lot of uh, real elements with, with them being related and all that. But but who else is there for him to work with uh, either? You know, th- that top tier um, on, on, I mean, let's go through it. You know, on Raw, you've got Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, um, I suppose Bray Wyatt uh, now. Am I forgetting well, anybody? You know, is that is that kind of it? Uh, on SmackDown, you got Roman Reigns, um, Seth Rollins, Braun Strowman. I guess uh, is that you know throw in AJ Styles and um, you know they're kind of more mid card acts now. Daniel Bryan kind of being phased out. Uh, and, and again, it, it's not that the talent's not there. It's that they're not positioned uh, to, to be top stars. You look at what they did with Jay Uso, a guy who, who you normally wouldn't even have thought of as a top tier guy. And, and he's more than held his own in in the top tier. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't know that Drew McIntyre ever really had uh, much to, to work with. Uh, but I do think that he was flawed uh, in, in a lot of ways. You know, you're, great look, great size. Uh, good in the ring, a little bland, I'd say in general. I mean, he sort of, it, it, and it, on on one hand, this is what got him to to the top of the company, but I think it was also kind of his ultimate. Um, uh, I don't want to say downfall. That's overstating things, but it was that he 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 did follow the WWE formula, and when you do that, you end up sort of Randy Orton, and you and you deliver those scripted programs, uh, scripted promos, uh, with you know a lot of emotion and and intensity but you follow it to the letter and he just felt very much like kind of the, the corporate creation and um, that'll get you to a certain level, but it, it won't get you past that level. Uh, so we'll see, but uh, you know, it, it's not to say that, that um, he's done or anything like that. Uh, it's still a relatively young guy and uh, among WWE's options still going to be uh, high up in the mix. So, 
I'm sure not the last uh, we've seen uh, of him. Um, what else? We we got finally uh, Sasha and Bailey uh, in Hell in a Cell. Good, intense match. Sasha uh, wins the title. This one looks uh, far from over. Did you think it was a a worthy payoff to this, um, or at least kind of the first uh, a chapter of this payoff to this feud that's been building for so long? Well, this felt to me, for the most part, until the very end, it felt like the classic example of why does this need to be in a hell in a cell? Um, I just felt, e- even though it's it's been a great rivalry and there's a lot of intense personal feelings in there, maybe it's because I have a problem with there being more than one hell in a cell on the same show. I don't know. And, and this yeah. came after the Roman Reigns one. It just starts to feel generic, and this one was an example of that because partly it's not even that the feud wasn't hot enough. It's that I'm also watching the actual match, and again, up until the end, I'm going, why in particular does this even need to be in a cell? Like, What are they doing that justifies this? And then, of course, by the end, you could see that where all the no DQ stuff kind of came into play and everything, and it made a difference. But for a lot of that match, it was just a match. And so for me, it's it's kind of an example of why maybe this concept needs to be rethought a little bit. Yeah, I do think that um, I, th- I think it was a good match, uh, an intense match. I think they could have better matches. And I think having seen what they could do in the ring together, they'll have better matches when when um, a lot of that gimmickry is stripped away. You know, um, it, and I think back to my interview with Bailey for. Uh, the the women's 100 and we talked about kind of looking ahead to uh, her first match with um, Sasha and clearly she was giving it a lot of thought I even asked her something to the extent of you know might you be overthinking it because not to exaggerate but she kind of talked about how sort of it was like keeping her up at that night that that uh, this was looming and she, she said how you know I can't wait until um, the match is, is here to prepare for it. Got to start preparing for it now. So it 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 felt like um, a match that they got very creative with, put a lot of thought into it. You know, the, the spots worked. They were executed well. Uh, but I think two women like that who were so creative and then given that stipulation of the Hell in a Cell, they're going to try to think so hard of like, well, what what could we do that hasn't been done before? What if we uh, right. do this and do this? And and again, it worked. So it's not a criticism. Uh, but I think kind of like uh, a Roman and Jay, you don't need all that stuff. This, to me, this is a, a, a feud that that works on more of a kind of an emotional uh, uh, cerebral kind of level. You, you don't need all the gimmickry. So. Um, I'd be more interested what they could do in just a match, you know, a match that goes 30 minutes, 40 minutes, um, you know. uh, uh, So so I think and I liked it a lot. Again, again, I I think they've got better matches um, in them. And who knows? I don't know if we see it. I don't think we'd see it at Survivor Series because you got all the the gimmickry there. Um, You know, then what do we have? TLC. Ugh. I hope it's not a TLC match. I just want to see them have a match, a good match, you know. Um, so we'll see. Um, also over the weekend, we had a Bound for Glory. Not a whole lot to say about it, but but interesting um, that they put their heavyweight title on uh, Rich Swan. Um, I saw it. Uh, I thought the match was good. You know, Impact is still suffering a little bit from not having crowds. So they're dealing with WWE, was dealing with 
six, seven months ago, having these big matches, just playing in front of crickets. Uh, but all that said, I am not convinced that Rich Swan, you know, is the guy to build the company around um, as as a heavyweight champion. I, I think that that there's actually a, a fair amount of pretty good options over there, and I like him. Uh, but I, I I'm not sure what to make of that decision. Uh, uh, what what did you think about them coronating Rich Swan their uh, top guy? Well, I, I think there's two schools of thought with this when you get people that look at situations like this in a match like that. And you get your people that will say, oh, well, you know, Impact is a joke. Like these guys were nothing in WWE. And now all of a sudden, like they're the top guys like that just tells you, you know, what's going on over there. And then there's people that kind of are the half glass, half full people, which I tend to try to be, which is, well, maybe it's because these people weren't getting the opportunities that they mm-hmm. deserved in WWE. And maybe that's why they're shining more here. Not that it's a it's a smaller pond, but that these people were kind of being held back to a degree. Now, that said, you know, there, there's something to be said about the visual here, the optics of this. And, yes. you know, it's, it's maybe the biggest thing in the world. You've got your. Your world championship. I mean, they don't technically. I guess they don't call it a world heavyweight championship, but just your. They world do. We don't. <laughs> your top. Well, I don't know if they use the word heavyweight. Is what I'm saying. Right. So basically, their top belt, and you've got these two smaller guys. You know, very visibly smaller. I mean, I mean, you know, Rich Juan was an actual cruiserweight in WWE, and so to a certain segment of the fan base, that kind of comes off. As a bit of a joke, unfortunately. Now, I, I I'm not, I'm a little more open-minded, and I, I, I try to look at it like not all companies are going to be what we would call heavyweight companies, right? Like I don't even know if I'd consider AEW a heavyweight company, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. But that seems to just be what fans expect today is every 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 company is a heavyweight company, and if and if it looks like you've got like a light heavyweight company or something like that that's built around that. It, you're less than somehow. But that, unfortunately, is the reality of the business today. So I, I, I would kind of question what they did for that reason, just because, I mean, it, it's again, it's me trying to separate what I personally like from what I think is actually good for business. Yeah, I mean, to their credit, they did make a point of saying, uh, you know, Rich Swan's really uh, beefed up, He's put on whatever it is, 20 pounds to to uh, be credible in, in the heavyweight division. So. Um, they did reference, I guess, heavyweight at, at that point. Uh, but yeah, especially the company that before there there was a cruiserweight division in WWE, they had their X division, which was essentially a cruiserweight division, and they still have the cruiserweight division. And I think I think the cruiserweight champion might be bigger than their heavyweight champion uh, right now. Uh, but but uh, that said, I really agree with what you said about um, WWE having missed a boat on on some talent. And but to me. Uh, that was an argument for Eric Young having the title and maybe keeping the title. Um, you know, I, I think Eric Young is a really good world champion uh, for Impact, both because he's a very good performer uh, and because he had he has that that lineage, that history uh, that that links back to the the TNA of the past, but in a good way. You know, I, th- I think even when when TNA was kind of in its doldrums, people had a lot of respect for, for Eric Young. So he was a good representative for the company uh, now. And I think uh, it was smart to put the title on him and. Uh, with the long term goal of him, you know, handing it over to whoever that next big star would be, um, it feels like it happened really soon. I don't think Eric Young had the title more than two months um, and. Again, I I don't know 
it, it's not just the size with Rich Swan. I think that is part of it, but it's also it's not just that he looks like a cruiserweight wrestler. It's that in a lot of ways he he still very much works like a cruiserweight right. uh, wrestler and not not maybe a, a better way to say it is that he he works like a an indie wrestler. I mean, I saw some stuff in that match that's just like, oh, come on, lots of 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 needless acrobatics um, in in a match that uh, I, I don't think really called for it. I mean, the, the idea was that this was a real emotional match. I don't know if you saw some of the countdown stuff they did, uh, but, but I watched on YouTube and they tell the story of, of Rich Swan, which once they did a really nice job of building him up. Rich Swan's uh, dad uh, being murdered when he was young of him growing up in, in um, I think essentially a foster home or with, with a friend of the family and then getting word, calling uh, uh, his his mom one day, and nobody answers. So uh, he drives, you know, through the night to her house, finds her dead in her bed. Uh, I mean, really compelling uh, stuff. And then wove that in really nicely, uh, and and not tastelessly at all, with the storyline with Eric Young. They also did kind of a similar package with Eric Young and talking about his trials and tribulations uh, and his time in WWE and now back in in Impact. So I think told a really nice story, um, but I, I'm happy to be proven wrong here. Honestly, I mean, I don't feel all that strongly about it. Uh, and and if nothing else, good for Impact uh, for just trying new stuff, you know. And and I, I was in touch with a, a friend of mine who back in the day we watched a lot of TNA together. We went to to TNA shows and stuff, and and we were big fans. This is kind of the high point. 2004 2005 and uh he had dropped out for for a while but usually tunes in for bound for glory so i think this was his first time in a while watching impact and he was really surprised what what a good product it was you know and i told him yeah they've they've been good for a while now and on any given week impact will have the best show on tv uh they they still have unfortunately a lot of that stink on them from the dixie, the dixie carter years uh, but they're doing more right than than they are um, wrong. And and uh, uh, just a note related to that, uh, and and I'm reminded of them because I put together their their um, their bio for the upcoming tag team issue, the North. What a great tag team! I mean, these guys are, are tremendous, uh, and they got the tag titles uh, again at Bound for Glory. You know, not an act that that was in WWE or AW or, or anywhere else. I mean, um, have a, a long history in wrestling before impact, but, uh, uh, impact deci- decision makers, uh, you know, on their own recruited these guys featured them prominently and they've been just a, a tremendous act. So, uh, yeah, they're doing a lot right over there. Yeah. I think, I think moving to access TV has been kind of a game changer. That seems to be the line of delineation maybe it's because you know the, it's the co- the company that owns the network also owns them and so there's more of like a like an ownership you know we're, we're really wanting it to shine because you have more of a stake in it whatever the reason uh they're they're the best they've been in a, in a really long time it feels like a lot of people have written them off and they probably shouldn't yeah yeah i think the other thing that that um help them uh in a way and and maybe in other ways it, it hurt them but in terms of like what was that turning point for them no no pun intended they used to be one of their shows uh, but it was losing tessa blanchard you know early in the year it it seemed like they were putting uh, all their chips in with uh, a women 
uh, a female world champion. This was going to be our calling card. And she was great. She, I mean, uh, uh, I thought she was fantastic. But it, it did feel a little bit like, um, I don't want to say publicity stunt, but it was like, again, this is going to be our thing. We're going to be the, cha- the the company that's got a woman a world champion. And then they lost her. And then they had to sort of figure out, all right, then what are we without her around? And they they look at their talent uh, a pool and then also have opportunities to sign all, all of this other talent, in part because WWE let all these guys go. And I think really kind of restructured it, uh, in a real significant way right around Slammiversary, that's June or, or so, and came out of the other end of it, a, a company that I, I think is in, in pretty good shape talent-wise and storyline-wise. I mean, I, there there's some production stuff that still feels kind of Bush League. Uh, did you see that there was that... Um, uh, a promo, a backstage promo with Rhino and Heath Slater it reminded me of the old uh, "We're Live, Pal" with with Jr. Where uh, uh, Heath and and Rhino Heath starts the promo. He's a few words into it, and then you hear off camera uh, uh, director somebody say, "All right, let's do that again," and a pause, and then he starts right back into it. This is on TV, <laughs> on live yeah. TV. That felt pretty bushly. Yeah, that reminded me of the. I think what was it? Uh, was it Sid or somebody? Yeah, we're live, pal. <laughs> right, right. I want Let me do that over. Right, we're yeah. live, pal. Yep, yep. It yeah. definitely it kind yeah. of reminds you of that. Uh, so uh, uh, to finish things off here, uh, let's quickly touch on on uh, AEW. They got a big pay per view coming up. It's interesting that they've gone with Eddie Kingston as their world title challenger to John Moxley. Have you seen any of it? What, what do you think of the storyline? Uh, certainly, a lot of talk about. The quality of the the promos here, um, but are, are you buying Eddie Kingston as a pay per view world title challenger? Promos are great. I think both of these guys. It's funny because I think you know I I tweeted something a while back where I said that I think Cody is probably the best babyface promo in the business. You don't even have to add promo. He he's the best babyface in the best business. Best babyface, and I think, but I think close second and third as far as particularly promos for baby faces would be those two guys, uh, John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, and they're all in the same place. Now, here's my thing. And again, this is where I talk about like separating my own personal tastes from what I think is going to work or not. You know, I think they're, they're both doing great work. They're both amazing talkers. I, I, I believe, you know, they're naturals, both of them. They're really uh, comfortable doing it. And there's emotion there. But I, I'm just not a fan, maybe anymore, maybe it's because I'm so burnt out, of these, like, inside baseball type of storylines where, like, you know, the Roman Reigns angle, it's visceral, it's emotional, it's relatable. I'm not a fan anymore of these angles where all they do is talk about the business and how mm-hmm. they how they're trying to, you know, their legacy in the business. And this is, uh, I'm, I'm trying, it's like this meta thing of, like, you know, I'm going to cut a promo about how you know much i want to do well in the business and and how you did you know you left me in this company years ago and all this kind of thing it just it doesn't feel as relatable maybe you know the younger generation of fans that's what they're used to that's what they like you know for me it all goes back to the nwo and it's like this endless thing of just talking about like my passion for the business like you know kamala and king kong bundy and mr fuji 
uh, those guys never talked about their passion for the business in wrestling promos, right? They talked about how, you know, they insulted each other's mothers. They were going to sit on your rib cage and they were going to, you know, uh, do all these things to you. And, and, and you smelled and you were an idiot and all this. Stuff. They didn't talk about passion and legacy. And I, I'm just I, I think I'm just getting a little sick of that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm reminded of something that I think Roger Ebert said um, about movies and I, and I always think about. And he said that a, uh, I'm paraphrasing somewhat. But he said a, a good movie is not about what it's about. It's how it is about that thing. So the point being, if you could do it well, then um, then it's fine. And, and I agree with what you're saying. But I think uh, Eddie Kingston in particular uh, does it so well. Yes. It's hard to criticize. Uh, and, and I also think that he, he does a good job of, of writing the line where, yes, you're talking about the, the business and it's a little meta, but he's also handling it as sport and um, talking about uh, winning and losing and, you know, what I, I hate, and I guess there's been some of that in here, is when when the talk gets into uh, who's pushed and not pushed, and I am where I am because I've never, you know, uh, been the favorite of promoters and, and that kind of stuff. That That's where uh, I, I kind of lose interest. But I think Kingston does um, uh, a good job. And similar to what I said about Jey Uso, uh, and, and I think both the Usos reigns it feels really authentic you know whatever it is he's saying and it almost doesn't matter what he's saying it, it comes through with such a believability and a passion um you, you, it just uh he 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 you believe him uh, yeah. when he says it uh all that said at the end of the day they actually have to have a match and he's fine uh but i don't know i think that there are some some acts that do great on the independence that don't necessarily translate as well uh, to the major leagues. And um, I might be wrong about that. I, I would have said that about um, Kevin Owens once upon a time. And, and the two kind of remind me uh, of each other. Uh, and, and obviously Kevin Owens went on and uh, to have a, a really great career in WWE. Uh, and I think proved a lot of people wrong, myself included. Uh, and, and part of it is, Similar body type. These guys are, are cosmetically, you know, not super major league uh, looking and their wrestling style and the offense. I I think uh, Eddie, Kingston, uh, Eddie Kingston's got to be 15, 20 years working in, in the independence, maybe more than that. Uh, he, he, he knows how to work that style. And, uh, you know. I guess they had they had the one match on on Dynamite some weeks back, and it was pretty good. You know, it was the kind of match you would expect uh, out out of the two of them, and very hard hitting. You know, I I'm sure Moxley likes working with him. I mean, I think that's the the style that he likes. Uh, so we'll see. They've got to be careful. And I've thought this for a while. This goes back to I guess it was Full Gear uh, last year. Um, they they do got to be careful with the hardcore stuff. Uh, I mentioned that in, in my latest column, talking about the um, the the dog collar match uh, some weeks back. And man, I don't know when's the last time we saw that much bloodshed on um, nationally televised uh, wrestling. Uh, and a little goes a long way. Uh, I just you know 
Moxley and Eddie Kingston in the main of a pay, uh, a pay per view. Their style. Uh, I, I hope there's some wrestling <laughs> uh, in there. You know, who knows? Well, that, I think there. You know, as we know, it it really seems like that company is really going for that as their thing because they know that WWE won't do it. So it's like it's something that makes them stand out more. So they they really kind of like to double down on it. And and with both of those guys, yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, so much of Eddie Kingston, to me, I was just thinking about it. He feels like he walked right out of, like, 1995 ECW. Yeah. Right? yeah. Every, like, he would fit in so perfectly there. In fact, down to, like, even the types of promos that he does, it was like how they'd have, like, those – 15 minute you know shane douglas promos where he's sitting backstage and and talking right into the camera which was so revolutionary at the time like that's the vibe that he has and I, and for better or worse i mean i like him i i think he's great at what he does but you know like i said i just have it's it's i guess that roger ebert thing where it's like maybe the the content of what's happening isn't my favorite but i can't deny that the guy is really good at it yeah yeah i even uh i guess the uh, news just came out about uh, tickets being sold for that show and i even looked at it <laughs> i thought well you know now we're getting into november i still haven't gone to the wrestling show it's probably the only opportunity i would have uh flights are super cheap to florida right now but there's this little issue of a pandemic so i don't think that i'll be uh, making it um anywho uh all right brian uh thanks so much uh as always we we caught up a lot this is good uh, made yeah. good progress yeah so uh next time we talk we'll have less current events i guess to talk about uh we'll do it again soon uh right now let's hear from star of impact wrestling the firm, former kurt hawkins it's brian myers uh, first let me ask you uh, uh, about the school uh, like like everything else here in new york i imagine it, it's been struggling as of late Have you guys been shut down throughout or, or how is everything going over there um when they did the professional sports being allowed to open up and train we opened back up uh, only eight people classes, um, split sessions. Uh, we bought all kinds of stuff to clean and sanitize in between and every single time. Uh, and we we're not taking on new students. So just basically, uh, open the doors to keep our, uh, our head afloat because <laughs> yeah. rent here in New York, uh, astronomical, if you will. And we have our own building, you know, we don't rent a space from like another facility. So, uh, that's where we're at, which I mean, at this point, I'm just glad to have a place where I can go and train and, uh, you know, and my students can, you know, keep sharp for now. Yeah. Is it, uh, I can't imagine you guys are like wearing masks or anything like that, right? Are you required to d during training? Uh, I mean, we'll, we, we do temperature checks at the door and things like that. But, uh, as far as training, it's, it's just too, uh, I would say difficult and bizarre to, to professionally wrestle with the mask on. So, I mean, so actually some people, I have seen some students choose to, but. It's you know we don't enforce it. How long were you shut down altogether? Uh, over three months. So. Wow. What what was that yeah. like? I mean, both as an, uh, the owner of a school, instructor, and for for the students. I mean, was there any attempt to like do some kind of virtual training or or what was it like over those few months? Well, we have a uh, private Facebook group where we all communicate. So we did some kind of like tape study through there and like homework assignments, you know, you know, pick a match and let's watch it and dissect it. You know, the, the things we could do like that. Um, it was frustrating for me as, you know, as an owner, because financially it was very difficult. 
And then the other flip side is as a wrestler because, um, I mean, you got to stay in ring shape to be able to, you know, to do this. The professional wrestling is just so difficult and so unique all to itself. You know, it can't really be replicated no matter, no matter how hard you try, you know, CrossFit or any kind of workout does still does not compare to, you know, the cardiovascular um, uniqueness of pro wrestling, you know, falling and getting hit and getting back up and, you know, doing the, you know, it's just not going to be replicated in any other workout. So that, that was the toughest part. And, and trust me, the first workout back, uh, I was feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how's the school going? I mean, I know some of your students have, have found some uh, uh, success. You know, we see Chris Statlander and, and AEW and, and some others. So uh, it seems like things were going well. I mean, was, was there a, a concern here that, this could be the end of it, and, and it would be over something that, that nobody could have anticipated? Um, it never got to that level, for sure. Not at all. But, I mean, in pre-COVID, I mean, I think we had our highest tuition. We have MJF doing amazing things on television. We have Chris Statlander, who was doing great until she, unfortunately, got injured. Um, and, and, you know, and a plethora of other talented guys and girls that I've trained. Plus, you know, you know, I call them castaways. People from other schools come and train and do our open ring program and sharpen their skills and things like that. So, uh, Pat Buck and I have really been, uh, blessed with the school. You know, it's been great and it didn't come anywhere near closing. Just, you know, frustrating financially to a, to a degree. Yeah. I forgot that MJF was, was one of your students. Actually, uh, a few years ago when, when putting together the, the PWI 500, I asked, um, uh, another former student of yours who, who actually is like one of the moms in my kid's school, Emmy, um, you know, what, what are some independent names that, that we should know about? And she mentioned this guy, you know, Maxwell Jacob Friedman should be on your radar. That's the first I, I heard of him. And there he was last week, you know, on pay-per-view challenging for the world title. What yeah. kind of prize give you to see, see one of your students in a relatively short time um, reach that level of success? Well, I mean, Max has embodied, you know, what it takes to be successful in pro wrestling. You know, I mean, he, he literally committed his life to learning this craft and, you know, being good at it and making sacrifices, you know, getting in the cars and doing long drives or barely any payday, but just the experience, you know, and he just, he couldn't have gone more head in to the business uh, to be successful. And it's all paying off, you know, hard work, you know, nothing really uh, compares to it. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he, he's basically out, outworked everyone. And on top of it, he's always been incredibly, you know, talented. He's always had the gift of the gab and that stuff. So uh, it's, I'm not surprised at all where he is. You know, I, I knew he was destined for uh, success in the business. What, was it apparent from when you met him that this guy had the makings of uh, uh, an all-time great villain, potentially? Because that's, you know, the, the space that he's being talked about is just one of the great jerks of, of all time. And, and that's meant as a compliment, as I'm sure uh, you know. Was, was that apparent from the outset? Um, not, you know, all time great. That would be ridiculous to say. I saw that, but, um, early on we had a, uh, a promo class and it was like one of the first ones that he participated in. And he, I remember, you know, vividly that he was, he was making me laugh, like legit making me laugh. And, uh, I, I could see the, obviously he was at that time very shy around Pat Buck and I, because he was new and barely knew anything. But then I saw that side of him and went, Oh, Okay there's something to this kid and I saw it right away, you know? So he's, he's always had that kind of charisma about him. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the other, you know, unfortunate thing that happened in the middle of the pandemic, and that's you losing your job in, in WWE, uh, along with so many uh, others, your, your partner and a, and a fellow uh, Long Islander, um, uh, Zach, and so many others. Uh, I, I read the interview where, where you basically had good things to say about WWE. You know, apparently you, you're not trying to burn any bridges. Then you have that, that promo on Impact where uh, a little bit of a 180, I get that's in character, but... but um, you know, now with, with some time removed from it and now back on your feet with a major promotion and, and a, uh, a good job now, can you talk a bit about what that was like and, and is there some resentment, hard feelings about in the middle of a pandemic losing your job? Um, I mean, yeah, for sure. I was shocked and uh, I still think it, it was a pretty um, cold maneuver, I would say, you know, how early, you know, it was a month into this thing and they let go of, you know, 50 something people, you know, wrestlers and office people across the board. It's just, I still find it very cold and strange how they came to that decision so fast, considering that no other wrestling promotion still to this day made cuts like that, except the one that's going to profit, you know, 30 million this year did. So, uh, yeah, I, I find it strange. That being said, I don't care. I'm not going to live in the past. And I'm a true believer of that, you know, everything happens for a reason. And uh, I, I love Impact Wrestling. and I'm having so much fun. And I realized that, like, things really do happen for a reason. Because I was, I was, in WWE, you know, I was collecting a paycheck for sure. At Impact, I'm, like, free. And, my, you know, I can let my creative juices fly. And I'm having a lot more fun. You know, I'm surrounded by my friends. They're having fun. It's just such a much more healthier environment, and it's made me a uh, happier person, to be honest with you. Yeah. Did, after you got the job at Impact and got back to working, uh, was it apparent to you at all that that maybe, uh, and I don't know if this was the case, but did you feel like maybe I was resting on my laurels? Maybe I became too complacent just collecting money, and I understand maybe some pretty good money, but you, you weren't working that much, right? I mean, I was still on the road every week on the television, and I mean, eight out of ten times doing the live events as well. It's just uh, it, the big thing is to me, you know, if you love wrestling as much as I do, you want to, you want more, you know. In WWE, sometimes you're just so powerless. Like no matter how much, how in shape I am, how good I look, how good my work is, you know, it's a written drama. So like, you know, if 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 they don't want me in the batting order, I'm not going to be in it, no matter what. So that that part is uh, frustrating, and it's really something you know. I don't write Monday Night Raw, so I have no control over that. I can only be what all I can do is be ready for the opportunities when they would you know come about, and that's what I did. So um, that, that's where I was, and the, the money and the it was astronomical money that was offered to me, and the years. You know, they wanted all of us for five year five year contracts. So it was like, you know, I'm committing to you, or you really committing to me, and it felt mutual at the time but you know, I guess it wasn't yeah yeah what's the point of a contract i guess if they could pull it away from you uh, at any time uh i was watching uh aw last night and and uh, miro the former rusev uh debuted and, and he had that line about uh glass ceilings and and kind of the myth of the the brass ring which is something that you know talked about so much and and the whole notion of you know you got to make your own breaks um uh, in in wwe the, the, it was what what uh, the former Rusev said? Does it kind of ring true for you that uh, this notion of 
you got to get yourself over and grab a brass ring. Uh, sort of easier said than done, and in reality, it's just not that simple. It's not. I mean, it's along the lines of what I just said. Uh, he got over, and they did not care, right? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't take, you know, the casual viewer could see that. Rusev, you know, became a thing with Rusev Day where the fans were clamoring for him, wanted to see him, and the people that write the show could care less. So it's 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 not like baseball. If I was on the Mets and I was the best hitter in the lineup, I'm in that lineup every day and I'm playing because that's how it works. You want to win. WWE's a written drama. So if somebody doesn't want you in that lineup, you're on the bench and that's just the way it works. And it, like I said, you can't really control that because you're not in charge of writing the show. You're you're just being a part of the show when you're asked to be. And that's unfortunately how it works. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about uh, impact. One thing that I thought is, is uh, interesting is for, uh, for you, certainly when it was TNA, you know, impact had this reputation of, um, you know, grabbing WWE cast-offs whenever somebody was uh, let go, they'd go and pick them up, and how that was kind of a bad look. But it really feels like the the the, the script was sort of flipped this time around, where the the hires that Impact made from um, WWE, yourself included, they're all being praised, and uh, it it's less criticism of oh here's Impact hiring off. Um, rejects, and it's more impact. See something uh, in these wrestlers, rightfully so, that for some reason WWE couldn't see. So uh, I, I feel like the, the perspective from observers are is that impact got this right, where WWE got it wrong. So the, do you feel that way? And not just you, but but EC3, Eric Young, some guys with a, a history and impact, unlike yourself. Um, were these all good hires, and, and why? Yeah, I mean, so, one, the WWE firings this time around were, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious to see, and if you knew anything, they were very financial. They weren't like, this guy's not talented, we're going to let him go. It was a lot of it was, these people make a lot of money, they got to go. So that was impact, uh, you know, to, to their bonus, because then they got all these insanely talented pro wrestlers with a chip on their shoulder, and being put in situations now where they can creatively uh, be a part of the show and do things that, you know, audiences aren't used to seeing them do, you know, be putting in a light where they, they are there to shine. And the other thing is all these guys that you mentioned, you know, the good brothers, myself, like we're not selfish. We're there to help bring up the other, you know, the young talents and the guys that maybe haven't had a big exposure on national TV. Like we have, we're trying to bring them to our level and, uh, you know, bring, you know, let people see how talented they are and bring them up to our level and let everyone shine. So I think that's like the perfect little combo that's been made. Whereas that, that stigma in the past, you know, it was like, you know, maybe TNA brought in, you know, this megastar and paid them a lot of money and, you know, they weren't necessarily there to put over the talent that was already there. That's kind of laid the groundwork. And I think that's where we've changed the game. Yeah. It felt like over the summer, there was really kind of a turning point um, for impact. And it coincided with um, a couple things. One, one was all those firings. But even before that, uh, Tessa Blanchard leaving the company. And it felt like when 2020 began, the, the, the big sort of experiment for impact in 2020 was going to be Tessa Blanchard. Let's put our, our world title on a woman. That'll draw headlines. And she did fine, but obviously it didn't work out. 
And then I feel like at the beginning of the summer, there was like a panic, at least among uh, fans, writers like me, like what's Impact going to do? They don't have pets anymore. They don't really have much of anybody. Um, and then it, it feels like there was, uh, 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 well, anniversary in particular was like this universally praised show without tests on it. And, and really, with, uh, uh, I know there's some cameos from some of the WWE hires, but it was in-house, largely, no audience. And I think one of the, the more praised shows uh, of the years, and it felt like kind of a, a page had been turned. So um, what do you think about where Impact is uh, uh, right now? Because the reviews have been very good. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I completely agree that Slammiversary was a complete turning point for the company. And I think since then, the programming has been top-notch, I mean, throughout. I think the the wrestling is there. Like, even to me, like, and it's a small thing, but I think the graphics are cooler and the, the packages and the backstage are, are just more real and authentic. And then, I mean, God, we have, even without Tesla, we have the best women's division in all of pro wrestling and the deepest. Um so there's a lot there for a wrestling fan. I just think people have, you know, given up on impact because of years past and we need them to find it again and give it a chance and see that, you know, this is a, a different product, but this is a very quality product across the board. Um, and there's, there's something there for everybody. So uh, I can't sing the praises of it enough. Obviously I'm biased because I'm part of the team, but I've really enjoyed my time there so far. And as a fan sitting back and watching it every Tuesday night on access, I mean, I'm enjoying it too. So there's something to be said about that. Yeah, it, it's the last of the the, the big companies. Uh, well, I guess Ring of Honor isn't quite up and running uh, just yet, but um, to still be working in an empty uh, arena, what's that uh, been like? I mean, obviously, from a fan perspective, it takes something away when you guys have had these great matches and great angles and great promos, and and they're just happening in front of silence. Um, have, have you adapted to that yet? Um, yeah, well, obviously, to me, in my opinion, wrestling is live performance art. It's not meant to be presented in this way, you know, but it's we're doing what we can with the times and the, the rules that are presented to us. So uh, it's, it's basically that or no show, and I'd rather have the show than, you know, than not. Uh, that being said, the first match I had with Eddie Edwards, I can completely be honest with you, I was, I remember taking, like, whatever, the first big bump, and I'm laying there to complete silence. And it was so bizarre to me. It was like so <laughs> unique that I almost felt like, like going off my game a little bit. Since then, I've, I, I've completely adapted to it. And I almost don't even, it doesn't even actually uh, bother me at all anymore because I've, I've uh, taped so many matches and performances and stuff, you know, that I'm, I'm used to it at this point. But like I said, Hey, wrestling is live performance art. We're dealing with the, you know, a global pandemic, you know, th this is what it is at this point, but I'm just glad that they're, we're still putting out this, like you said, quality product at this point uh, is better than nothing. What, what, would you like to see Impact um, pick up any of the ideas of whether it's AEW or WWE and the resources are a lot less? You can't go and, and build a Thunderdome um, like WWE has, uh, but whether it's, you know, scattering in a, a few trainees or, uh, a small number of fans, and, and again, understanding you guys are working in a smaller space than a daily's place or something like that, or is the reality that this is just what you're stuck with for the, the time being? 
Yeah, I'm sure at some point it will evolve into what we're capable of doing to, you know, to be the next step. But uh, if this was is what it is right now, then it is what it is. You know, we'll all just keep working through it and know that, you know, the payoff is when this product airs on Tuesday night on Access TV. You know, that that's going to be the payoff. And I think eventually when, you know, real, you know, live shows will, will be there, I think that's the absolute huge next step for this company where, you know, so many more fans and eyes will, will be on it, you know, firsthand where they can, you know, fall in love with impact. Like I have. Yeah. Do, do you expect that there will come a day where you guys are touring again? Uh, maybe there's an opportunity to, to return to Long Island. And, you know, I know it was oh, a, a thrill for you to work the Africa. I know there is an Africa in these days, but uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that's the ultimate goal. You know, you just want, you know, more and more and more and more and that would be the logical you know uh next step uh, you know being a successful wrestling company but i mean like all all the wrestling wasn't even doing live events when you know uh pre-pandemic so they were just doing their tv so you know one step at a time and uh i'm sure if things are just you know going up like they have been like we'll eventually get there yeah yeah uh uh speaking of all these uh, wrestling you're, you're a longtime partner and friend uh uh, Matt Cardona, the former Jack Ryder, ended up ended up over there. I'm sure you're happy for him that, that like yourself, he he landed on his feet. Uh, but it's sort of bittersweet, you know, that that you guys go your separate ways. He's over there, you're over here, not not uh, on the road together, not sharing a locker room together anymore. Um, to, to be honest, I, I no, like we're fine. Uh, <laughs> like we we have our podcast and we spend a lot of time together, a lot of time talking, and a lot of time communicating. So to almost have like separate wrestling lives is like nice for the two of us so uh you know we're, we're happy for each other's success and uh I, I actually think it's really cool that we're each in different companies and you know this is both our 17th year in the business so we've made a lot of friends and a lot of connections like i have a insane amount of friends in that uh aew locker room and uh people that i adore you know but i also do at impact as well so um i i think it was meant to be we we have that wrestlemania moment like it's going to be pretty hard to top as a team, so we're we're in a good place. I, I want to ask you about that. I, I was there, and I remember you guys weren't um, like that much of a factor on TV uh, in the weeks after that. So, so when the news leaked that you guys were getting the tag team title shot at WrestleMania, it seemed kind of like out of place. Like, why would these guys get the tag team title, much less win the tag title? But knowing that you guys were New Yorkers, um, it was clear what what a big deal that was. Was that sort of a gesture to you guys, you know, veterans uh, in the company came up in the area? Did, did you feel like that was uh, kind of your, your attaboy from, from Vince McMahon giving you uh, that moment at WrestleMania? Um, I do, yes. I mean, 10 days before, that was not a match on that show. We, um, Matt and I went to Vince at the, the Raw before the Go Home Raw, so two, the second Raw before Mania. And basically, we were pitching ideas. Um, at the time, I was in the, in the midst of the losing streak. And um, people definitely cared about it. You know, like, when I was when I would go to any town and wrestle, like, people wanted to see me win. It became a thing. You know, I, I lost for whatever it was, two and a half years straight to finally, you know, kind of get over where people really cared about my matches. And it was a cool feeling. And I knew, I knew, and what the pitch was really was, like, if I was at least, in the final four of this under the giant battle royal, people would be excited, you know? And that, that was really all it was. It wasn't to win or whatever, you know, that's what, it wasn't to have a, definitely wasn't a pitch to have a tag match because we didn't even think that was even like 
in the stratosphere. And uh, he said that was it. We talked to him about that. He kind of like, hey, he said, you know, I have other plans uh, for DeAndre. Thanks for the suggestions. And we kind of, that was it. And I think what it did was just kind of get his wheel spinning. And then they added that tag match the following week. Uh, without, you know, unbeknownst to us or anything. We were just, we were just as shocked as the fans. I mean, we literally found out when WWE tweeted the graphic like everyone else. So we were yeah. blown away. It all just kind of spiraled. Does it um, uh, soften any potential resentment or bad feelings that you have toward your time there that they did, that, that he did that uh, for, for you guys? I mean, that, that's clearly... You don't do that for somebody that you don't think a lot of. Oh, no, I don't have any resentment or bad feelings or anything like that. And to be honest, I think Vince has always actually liked Zack Ryder and myself a lot, I think. But I think he sees us as, uh, you know, his mechanics, you know, his good hands, guys that can enhance other talents. I don't think he sees us as, you know, Roman Reigns running the show. I think yeah. that's that's the big difference. You know, he likes us, it's just he doesn't see us as these megastars. And that's that's whatever. You know, wrestling is uh wrestling is flavors of ice cream. You know, some people like vanilla, some people like chocolate, you know, some people like strawberry, whatever. You know, my favorite wrestler isn't gonna be your favorite wrestler and that's just that's the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Are we gonna be wrapping it up? Yeah, we're wrapping here here's a, a last question. Uh, so, so uh, I remember back in, I think, 2004, I, I wrote a story um, about uh, the NYWC. And I think it was NYWC was brand new, and it, it was actually following the evolution of the NYWC from the old critical mass days. And I remember visiting that uh, it was like a, a garage in, in a strip mall in um, Hicksville. I don't have to tell you this. You remember. Yep. Uh, but I think you were a student at the time, like a kid. And uh, so when I heard you had opened your own wrestling school, it was sort of mind-blowing for me. It made me feel old that that this guy who was a kid training at the time now has his own school. Um, what, was it, what was it like taking that step um, of becoming the teacher? Was there any second-guessing that, you know, you, you had what it took to you – know, knowing people who trained you? Because uh, that's a big step to say – I uh, am experienced enough, now knowledgeable enough, and expert enough in this that I can now teach others. So how much confidence did you have going into that? Um, to be honest, a lot. Because, I mean, I basically watched, in my opinion, in 2008, Edge is the best wrestler in the world. I spent every weekend with him, you know, four days a week, watching him be the WWE world champion, you know, from the best piece in the house, from ringside, you know, under his privilege, like for real, not just on television, but like for real, in the cars with him, traveling. Um, so I, I, and I already had a, a great education in pro wrestling, and now I had a first-class education. So being signed to WWE at the age of 20, just pure hands-on learning from, you know, from the get-go. Being trained by Mikey Whipwreck in the first place. So uh, I had a lot. And then, to be honest with you, I was... Um, in my free time, I would go to my friend's half buck school in New Jersey and kind of train and help out. And that's when my wheels get spinning that, you know, all this information that I've absorbed, I can give back because it's, you know, it's in my heart and in my brain. It was very easy for me to just, you know, open up and talk about wrestling and communicate. And that, I think that's the, where the final went, oh, okay, I'm, I'm enjoying this. And then once you really do it, once you have, you know, students and you watch them grow from something like we were just talking like MJF, some 
shy kid who walked in my door to like seeing him now, you know, that, that's a whole nother level of, it's like a satisfaction in wrestling on a whole different level than just, you know, besides myself being in the ring, you know, it's something I didn't even think was possible. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. to wrap it up this, this year, I'm a, uh, a legends figure of myself just came out with, you know, me and Zach and edge the edge heads. And this is the same year that MJF first action figure is going to come out. So that wow. makes me feel old. So, but it's, it's that line. Thank you, officially a legend, I guess. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. In an action figure form, I'll take it. Yeah. All right, Brian, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, dude.